I round up. I round up. Hey, um, so I'm, I'm really, uh, really excited about this morning. Um, one, one thing, I've really kind of been living through this. Hey, there's someone that wants one over here, guys, if, if we're not seeing that. There we go. Cool. Um, the, the, everybody, I think all of us, we would agree. Um, we, we all believe that, yeah, you can get that one phone call that changes everything for you. You know, that one phone call that changes your entire life. Um, and I'm not talking about the one that says you won the lottery. You know what I mean? Um, I think we all believe that that can happen, but I don't think we tend to think it's coming for us. You know what I mean? Um, even this week, you know, I was talking about this with my wife. Like, I, I go to the hospital to do hospital visits constantly, all the time. I'm always going to the hospital. I'm used to that. And, and there's even a danger in pastoral ministry, in a sense, where it can kind of train you inadvertently, but train you to think that that phone call always comes for other people. But it, but it won't come for you. And then when that happens, God bless you, when that happens, um, what's your foundation on at that time? When the storm comes, man, the, those are the times when if our faith is not strong, if we don't understand what we believe and who we believe in before then, then those can be much more difficult seasons when they come. Um, the gentleman that we have here to share with us this morning is walking through such a season. Um, Bob Middleton has become a friend of mine through distance, really. We've only spent a, a short amount of time together in person or, or even in real life phone calls. Um, our church, as you guys know, we're non-denominational. We're not really associated with any specific networks or anything um, right now. And so um, there, there's been for me uh, always sort of a, a draw towards community, wanting to get together with other pastors, with other guys that are kind of in the same world that we're in and, and just have that accountability, that shared resources, information, um, encouragement, all those sorts of things. And and there's a, a particular blog that that was created by pastors and for pastors. Don't go looking for it. You won't find it. You have to have a login to get to it. It's where we talk about you guys, actually. And um, and it's pastors literally from all over the world, um, very like-minded with our gospel centrality and everything, where we can get together and talk about um, issues and, and write about the things that we're dealing with. And it didn't take very long for us to realize that, that Bob Middleton and I and us really um, we're really right on the same path, very like-minded people, and we've gotten to know him and been really blessed by his fellowship. He pastors up in the Dalles, Oregon, um, up there just, you know, head to Portland, get to the river, turn right, you know, that place. And um, we've gotten to know him really well over the last couple of years or so, um, and then uh, have really been blessed to get to know him even closer in this season that he's been walking through lately. And um, so as, as Bob, he's going to share his whole story. I don't want to steal his story, but, but Bob uh, uh, offered to come down and kind of share about what he's going through. And I, I think the timing of this is really, really good um, because even as I look around here and I look at people in this congregation, I see people that are walking through difficult seasons themselves that are carrying some heaviness, whether it be employment issues or family issues or health issues, whatever it is. There's a lot going on in the valley right now, amen? There's a lot. Um, there's division in the valley for a lot of reasons. The news, you know, you see all of this. It just seems like one of those seasons of just heaviness. And so it's good for us to take an opportunity to gain some perspective, to turn our eyes upon Jesus and remember who our hope actually lies in, amen? So would you guys do me a favor and give a warm, warm heritage welcome to Pastor Bob Middleton. Hi there. Jess is a cool guy. So is Jeremy and Ed and Sam and lots of other people um, that I know. If I look familiar, um, I well, we never really lived down here, but I was once um, active at uh, Applegate back in the early 90s. So if that looks familiar. But I was also account manager for a pharmaceutical company. And I spent a lot of time in various places around the city. So if I look familiar, although much older, um, <laughs> you know, the 90s, gosh, that's really weird to say, yeah, back in the 90s. Not even the like, late 90s either. We're talking about early 90s. Um, one of the things I know Jeff posted online, but he didn't mention what my particular issue is. Um, 
I have stage three, perhaps stage four colon cancer. I'm currently undergoing treatment um, under a regimen known as full fury if you're a medical professional. Um, it's my second regimen of chemotherapy. Last year at this time, I also went through another regimen of chemotherapy called full fox. Um, I've had two bowel resections in the last year and a half. So this may be TMI or too much information for some of you, okay. But your colon's supposed to be like that long, mine's that long, okay. So again, TMI, I know. But if I have to go through the doors, you'll understand, okay. So, um, thanks. So we're in Romans chapter 8. I want to do an exposition, but I also want to tell a little bit of my story because Jeff told me I had to. Um, we ha actually, we have some friends that are part of your body, and probably more than I know, but uh, Phil and Carla Floyd, we actually have been friends for like over 20 years. Um, went to the same church up in Cottage Grove um, for several years, and we still exchange Christmas cards and Christmas letters. I don't understand Holly is part of the body here. Um, I haven't seen Holly since like she was like 12. There she is. See, I wouldn't even have recognized you, Holly, because last time I saw you, you were like 12 years old. So um, I got that going for me, excuse. Um, anyway, so about three years ago, I was getting a little heavy. You know, I'm 52. That's 50, 49, 50-ish. You know what happens? There's some, there's some switch that turns off when you're like in your 40s. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. All this, I was always pretty skinny most of my life. I'm not skinny anymore. In fact, I'm 6'5", so I can carry a little weight, but I got 273 pounds. Not a pretty sight. So, but we went to Honduras for a medical mission trip, and I thought everything was hunky-dory until I was having to tromp through the jungles of Honduras, and I just wasn't doing very well. So I, th I need to lose some weight. Well, I lost some weight. Got down to about 240. Did pretty good. Feeling decent, but still not as good as I should have been. So over a year had passed, and we went to Honduras again. Only this time we took a medical team of about 13 people. And I, one of my jobs, since I'm the pastor and I'm not a, really a medical guy, even though I've done some medical professional kind of stuff, my job was to carry the water, okay? So that's what I did. Maybe, you know, I'll say a prayer here and there, but carry the water back and forth to the people that were really doing something. And it was hard. Then about, oh, a quarter of the way through the trip, I got started getting sick. Well, you know, we're in the jungles of Honduras. And I'm talking like nat real National Geographic kind of jungle stuff. You know, they found a six-foot um, Bertillon's pit viper underneath our clinic one day. That kind of jungle ministry, okay? And no fresh water. The only water you could really get, we had to pack in. Because their idea of water was out of the river, which was part of the problem why we were there in the first place. But... As I went, I started getting more and more sick. And I'm thinking I've got one of the jungle illnesses, you know, that kind of thing. But as we got back, it never really got better. And in fact, as I started going upstairs, I would start to pass out. So one of the things, I, we went to the doctor, because I'm thinking I've got some kind of jungle illness, right? And the doctor says, we're going to do every test, see what you have, and we'll, we'll get it fixed. We can, we can fix these things. They did a very test. A month later, still weren't finding anything. So he said, well, we got to look at some other options, other possibilities. And so went in and did some, some tests, CT scans, colonoscopy, those kind of things. And they found a tumor in my colon. Not one of those things I was hoping for. If you ever, you know, as Jeff was talking about the phone call that you get, and I got one of those phone calls. And they said, well, we need to do surgery. And they did the surgery. And um, they thought that they had able to isolate it. So they said, you know, it's stage three, but we think we might be able to fix this. So went through the surgery, um, had my first bowel resection, went through a full series, five months of chemotherapy, and came out of that and doing okay. In fact, they told me I, was, I handled the chemotherapy the best of anybody they'd ever had in the hospital at that in, in our small little hospital. Um, you know, I don't look dead, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't even look mostly dead. If you, you know, Princess Bride movie, have you ever heard of that? Yeah. yeah. 
you don't need to give me the little chocolate pill, okay? But, um, you know, chemotherapy does take something off of you. So I went through that, and everything went good. The scan afterwards was clear. So I'm thinking, okay, Lord, maybe this is going to cure me. Three months later, I had another scan, just one of the follow-up scans that you do for cancer. And they said, there's something we don't like. I'm a pastor. I can handle these things, right? So they said, we want you to do a PET scan because we're not sure what it is. So I went and did a PET scan. Have you ever had a PET scan? You know they have to have, you have to be behind leaded walls to protect, your, to protect the staff from you, okay? <laughs> that is not a pretty sight, okay? But I'm th- going through this PET scan, and they came back, and, the th- and they said, okay, good news and maybe not so good news. And what's the good news? The thing we thought isn't there. It was just scar tissue, no problem. What's the not so good news? We found two active lymph nodes. But we think we can still fix you. But we're going to have to do surgery again. Great. So after the surgery, did the follow-up a month, month later. This is end of oct- October, 1st of November. And they said, we thought everything was clear, but we found in, just in the margins a few extra cancer cells. It may have metastasized. Now, you know, if, if you, any of you have dealt with cancer at all, the difference between stage three and stage four is pretty significant. So I went to my oncologist um, a week and a half later, and he says, yeah, I think you've metastasized. I think I have to ca- ca- call you stage four now. The, the book says 12 to 24 months. Not what I wanted to hear. So... He said, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you to a second opinion at OHSU and see what that doctor has to say. She's one of the top specialists in cancer in Portland area. You know, I really have a lot of confidence in her. So I went and visited her, and I was, I'll be honest with you, I was scared to death. I'm a pastor. I was embarrassed. I mean, I'm I'm supposed to be, like, more spiritual than this, right? But honestly, I was scared to death. So we went, my wife and I went to the cancer specialist at OHSU, and she said, well, it's possible that it's not metastasized. So it's possible you're still at stage three. That gave me a, a little bit of hope. But she said, I, w- I think we, sh- we definitely need to go through another cancer regimen. So my cancer specialist in the Dallas said, okay, we'll do that. But I still think you might be stage four, so I want to treat you for stage four. So I'm going through chemotherapy for both stage three and stage four, which is different right now. Now, this leads to what we're going to be talking about in the book of Romans. Because in this process, I, like maybe some of you have said, you know, Lord, really? I mean, I'm a pastor. We went to start a church in the Dallas couldn't you do a little bit more than this? And we were going through the book of Romans in the first, in the first round through. And as we were going through the book of Romans, um, something hit, occurred to me. And something as we were going through the studies that I, w- I felt like might be good to share. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. So if you want to read with me, Let's read this. Just a, f- a few verses in Romans 8, starting with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait for adoption, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I've entitled our, this, this sermon, Groaning, because through all the different things that I went through in this cancer season, and my wife, Dorinda, over here as well, there are many times we just would go, oh, 
just kind of groaned. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just groaned because of life? You know, it may not be physical. It may be you got the perfect job, the job that you really, really wanted, and then you worked, started working in it, and it really sucks. Have you, I mean, has that ever happened to you? Okay. Or you save all your money for your dream car. You do a great job. You save for a huge down payment or maybe for the entire car, and you get it, and you take it home, and you decide to stop at Safeway on the way back home, and someone dings it the very first day you get it. Or you buy the dream house and find out that, like happens in Western Oregon, when they were putting it up in the rainy season and during, well, nine months out of the year, <laughs> um, that... It got wet, and there was mildew behind three-quarters of the walls in the house. And you have to completely redo everything on the inside. Have, has anything like that ever happened to you? And you just go, Ugh. you just groan. This Christmas, my wife and I were in Portland shopping. The Dallas has a Fred Meyer and a Kmart. It's not shopping Mecca, okay? Okay, so we went to Clackamas Town Center, went to REI, looking for some things. Our kids are really backpacker, hiker types and stuff. And we were, we were able to get some of the stuff online. And so we went into the REI and it was pretty cool. We were getting stuff. I mean, we were really making it shopping. And interesting enough, we got a phone call from my 22-year-old son who just had graduated six months earlier from college. Now, if you've ever had a 22-year-old son who calls you on a Saturday morning, you probably understand that he's not there because he wants to wish you a Merry Christmas, okay? Most 22-year-old kids, my kids especially, my son especially, that when they call like that out of just the strange blue on a Saturday morning, it's because they need something. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? So he says, Dad, you know this car I just bought? I said, yeah. So I think I blew a head gasket. He had saved all of his money after graduating from college to buy a car so he could drive back and forth to work. He'd, he'd saved it. I mean, he, he didn't go out and do a stupid thing and get a loan. I mean, he saved money. I was really proud of him. And the week before Christmas, the car is basically gone. Oh, Lord, really, does it have to be like this? One of the things that all of us struggle with, or most people that I've met struggle with, is this idea of groaning. And especially for those of us who are Christians. It's like, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to you, Jesus. You're supposed to help me out, right? Why do I still groan? Why, do I, why does this life still produce things that make me groan? If you like to take notes, here's a couple things that we can, you can take notes with me on. Number one, the first is, is why we groan. Well, as Paul says in the very first thing, that the things that we are hoping for are greater than anything that we have to do with here. That no matter the fact that we do groan, we have something better waiting for us. But we still groan. And so what does he say? He says... For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, this is the reason why we groan. Is all of creation around us groans too. Tsunamis, earthquakes, houses burning down. All that stuff is because creation has been subjected to this futility that we feel as well. It's not just us. All creation around us is subjected to this. And this is the other thing. And this is some, a friend of mine is going through some really difficult times right now. And I, I spent an hour and a half on the phone this week talking to him about this. Is that it's like, can't, won't Jesus fix this? Isn't he ever going to fix this? I'm just tired of this. I'm just so tired. Have you ever been just so tired? You just, Lord, I'm, I'm just tired. And he's been that this week. 
And I said, Dave, Jesus is fixing it. See, that's the gospel game, is that we have this groaning, we have this longing for something better. The creation itself has been subjected. It's Genesis chapter 2 and 3, if you remember, that Adam and Eve called, brought this together in sin and brought the fall among us. And so all creation has been subjected to that same futility as we are. It's not just you either. It's also your neighbor. It's one of the things that people say, well, I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore because it's just, it's just hard. It's more hard if you're not because you don't have access to any other resources. But it is subjected to futility. And so what happens because of that, we groan as we wait. You know, Jesus said this, it rains in the just and the unjust. I grew up in Western Oregon. I always thought that meant bad things happened to everybody, okay? Actually, in the context that Jesus meant it, it meant good things happened to everybody because they don't get water and rain in the Middle East like we do. But still, there's this thing that we run through that we, because of our culture, because of us, we, we say, okay, Lord, I know you want to fix this, but there's got to be something else. You've got to be mad at me. Have you ever felt like God was mad at you because of your circumstances? As a pastor, I've had lots of people tell me that. You know, I don't know why God hates me. Have you ever said that yourself? Why, God, do you hate me? It's like Tevye and, you know, Fiddler on the Roof. In the early part of the movie, his mule or his, his horse gets lame. He says, Lord, do you have to make my horse lame now? We do that. In the pagan days and even in, in Jewish culture, that was one of the reasons why they offered sacrifices. God must be mad at us. That's why everything's going higgledy-piggledy around us, so we're going to offer a sacrifice. That was the point for many of the sacrifices back in the early days. The Jews considered that if you never had to go through hard things, if you were, had everything going well for you, that meant God was pleased with you. If you remember, Jesus dealt with some of those kind of attitudes. But we groan because of all the stuff around us. But we also groan for our own redemption. But there's something here that we also have that helps us in this time. As he goes back into that passage, he says, for we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth and now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, you don't have to have cancer to feel this. Michael Jordan's going through this, if you remember, if you follow basketball at all. He's 50 years old, and he has everything he could possibly want, and by all accounts, he's miserable. Why? It's because he can't do what he used to do. That's, that's his part of life. We can't do what we want to do. We are stuck with these bodies that continue to fall apart, continue to go downhill, continue to have problems. And so we groan because we have these bodies that go that way. However, here's the thing. We do have that hope, as he says. See, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said um, that actually it is this idea that we are confused that actually points to the idea that we have a hope. He said, why do we expect anything better? Why do you expect anything better? He says it's because there's something God has built in us that says it has to be better. There's something else out there. And that actually points us to the reality of God's presence and God's wanting to fix this situation that we find ourselves in. It's actually that very groaning prospect, that very groaning thing that leads us to the idea that it should be better. I mean, think about this, really, if you, real quick. Why do you even think it should be better than this? It sucks for everybody, right? I mean, it really does. We actually, this is one of those things I tell our congregation, of all people in the history of the planet, we as Oregonians perhaps are the most blessed. We have one of the most beautiful places in all creation. I live in the gorge. Have you ever been by Noma, Noma Falls and through the gorge? 
It doesn't get any better than that. We live in a society that's the richest in the history of the planet. None of us really ever go hungry. None of us ever really struggle with a lot of things that throughout the history of the planet people have struggled with. And we still groan. I mean, just think, why? It's like, man, we've got it really good. I'm just going to be satisfied right now because it's really cool. No, we don't. We groan. Because inbred in us, inbuilt in us, says C.S. Lewis, is we have this idea that it should be better. And the reality is that we d- it is. We have this hope. That hope, as he says, that keeps us going. Just real quick, finishing up verse 26. For in this hope we were saved. 24, sorry. In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But verse 25, we, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, leads to point number two. So what do we do? Is, I mean, has God just left us to abandon until this point? Well, no, that's the gospel. But there's something else here that I want you to see. And this is, this is when, I, when I really understood this, and I've gone through the book of Romans many, many times in ministry, but when I saw this, this really killed me. Number two is this. We also know, because of our groaning, that God has help and purpose in that groaning. Look what it says. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God hasn't abandoned us. Even if we're waiting, even if we have this hope, he hasn't abandoned you right now. And this is the most important thing. If you're going through really, really difficult times, no matter how much it sucks, he has not left you alone. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, or know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, some people think of that as glossolalia, the, the phenomenon of tongues. That's not what Paul is saying here, I don't think. What he's talking about is when you're groaning and you don't know what else to do. Have you ever been so tired you don't know what to pray for? You don't know the first word to utter as a prayer. Have you ever been there? You're not alone. You have the best prayer partner in the history of creation. It's Jesus Christ. See, this is what he said. The Spirit is not only there to comfort you, the Spirit is actually interceding for you in the midst of your problems right now. So when you don't know how to pray, someone is praying for Jesus is right now. The Bible says he's interceding for you at the right hand of the, of the Father. Now that's not just in a judgment kind of situation. It's also interceding for you when you're in the middle of your most difficult problems and you don't even know what to say. You don't, know, you don't have the strength to pray. And when I understood that, it, that just, that was just incredible to me. Because there's been many, many times, <laughs> despite the fact that I'm supposed to be more spiritual than this, that I don't know what to pray for. As a pastor, it happens many times. I could tell you story after story of people that just, they just tell me their story and they want me to fix it. And I just feel hopeless. And helpless. Because I don't know what to say to them. But what he's saying here is that the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And he, verse 27, who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, that's where that help is. But there's something else here. Something else, just besides the fact that he has help for us. He also has a purpose for us. That God works all things together, as it says here. Verse 28. And this is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. But when you see this in context, this is actually looks a little different. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes or his purpose. See, the thing is, this is the thing, is in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our groaning, it's not purposeless. Frederick Nietzsche is famous for saying, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? That's so bogus. I know a lot of people that aren't dead that it hasn't made them stronger. 
It just makes them weaker. It's stupid. I mean, it's just flat out stupid. But that's how we, well, okay, I'm just going to go through this because it's going to make me stronger. And most of the time it doesn't. It just makes us weaker. If it doesn't have any purpose, it's just meaningless. You're just suffering because you have to suffer. It's like a little dog who's hurt, who's whining, and you can't make it feel better. What do you do? All we can do is put it to sleep most of the time, right? Because we don't know any other way. If we can't fix the suffering, they're just suffering. But for us, it's different. Your suffering isn't just the suffering. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. If you are suffering, if I am suffering, if I'm having to go through cancer or whatever you're having to go through at this particular point in time, it's not just the fact that he's going to say, just hang in there, it's going to get better. No, he has a purpose for it. I'll be honest with you. There was a long time that I really did not understand. See, something I haven't told you is that my dad died from leukemia at exactly the same age I am right now. He was 52 and three quarters years old. He died from leukemia. I watched him take his last breath in, in, in his house. For the last 20 plus years, I have been waiting for this age to see what would happen. Seeing the countdown. <laughs> and I get to 50, the same age my dad was diagnosed with leukemia, and guess what? I'm diagnosed with colon cancer. Really? But he has a purpose for it, and he has had a purpose for it. One of the things I get to do is when I'm going th undergoing through treatment, I take my little stand with the IVs. I've got like six IVs going in me at one time, okay? And I get to go around to the rest of the treatment center and pray for and give hope to all the rest of the patients at Salilo, my cancer center. You know, there's a lot of guys that go up to the cancer center that want to pray for people and stuff, but as a pastor, it's a little bit different when I have an IV pole with me too. When I have the lines going into my port. Because it's no longer just theoretical, well, I know God's going to be with you because I'm going through it too. It gives me, has given me an opportunity in ways that I don't know that I could have had any other way. It gives me an opportunity to speak to you. I mean, I'm sure Jeff likes me. Jeremy likes me. But would they invite me to come speak to you because I've got a message from God? No. It's because, as Jeff said a couple weeks ago, there's a certain gravity because of what I'm going through. And that, I think there's some, there is some truth to that. But the question is, okay, that's true, but can I really trust God that he's got this purpose in mind? This really hurts. I just went through uh, treatment this week. Um, in fact, honestly, just before I came up to speak, I had this urgency upon me physically because of my treatment this week. I told my wife to pray for me because I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it through the entire thing. And it really is frustrating at times. My beard's thinning out. My hair's still there for the most part, but it's thinning too. But I still struggle with this. You know, God, I want to believe that there's, there's a purpose for this, but I'm not a pastor. I don't have the same opportunity that you do, Bob. I mean... That's great that you can trust God, but how can I trust him? How can I trust God that he really does have a purpose for this? Well, it's because verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. First purpose for you going through what you're going through is for you to be like Jesus. That's why. Guess who was pinned on the cross for your sins? Jesus. Who willingly did it? Who went to the Garden of Gethsemane? 
the, probably the most important purpose that the Lord has for you if you're going through a difficult thing right now is for you to be able to be like Jesus. Now, this is one of the reasons why you have to be called according to love God and you have to be called according to his purposes. Because if you don't, this doesn't make any sense. I don't really care if I'm like Jesus. Yeah, then it, it really isn't going to help. But if you are called, if you've been called as a Christian, that's the thing that God wants to do in your life more than anything else, is to make you like Jesus. And that's what this is saying. When you're going through difficulties, it's to make you more like Jesus. I'd rather God choose another method. Thank you very much. Yeah, me too. But the problem is that it doesn't work that way. How many of you, when things are going great, hunky-dory, just feel like you're able to be more like Jesus during that time? Maybe a couple people, okay? There's always outliers. But for most of us, we actually learn best because we're going through hard times. But the second reason why, the second point why what God is trying to do and, why you, and, what, and what, why you can trust him is what shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is how you can trust Jesus, that he gave Jesus Christ for you for not only the most horrific kind of death that you can possibly have physically, but imagine this, and this is something, the older I get, the more it makes sense to me, that the sins of the world were poured out on Jesus that day on the, at Calvary. Imagine every bad thing that's ever happened, every sinful thought in the history of the planet was poured out on Jesus that day. That's why you can trust God. If he gave his son for you, for your sins, as Paul says, what, is there anything that he's going to withhold from me? I say, I'd like him to withhold this, but that's not the point. Who shall bring any charge against the God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. See, this is the thing. You say, you know, God, how can I trust you? Because God has given his son. But more than that, you say, is God mad at me? No, God is not mad at you. That is not why you're going through what you're going through right now. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. No one condemn you, can condemn you. The beginning of Romans says this. There is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. No. It's because we have this creation that groans around us and so we groan. But God hasn't left us for that. He has sent his son. That is the gospel game. That is the good news. Is in the middle of the most difficult times in your life when you're so tired and you can't do anything else. God sent his son to die for you. Just a few more verses. As it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are killed, being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And that's one of the things. Okay, Lord, I'm just going to be a martyr and I'm just going to take this because I know you want to do something. But it's not just that. As he goes on, he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This does not, will not conquer you. This is not the end of the story. Whatever difficulty you're going through right now is not the end. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you're going through right now, it is not the end of the story. God has not finished with you. He has something for you, even if he takes you to be with himself. He 
my grandma, she died a couple years ago. She was 97. But most of her older adult life, she had such bad arthritis that her hands were gnarled in this position. She couldn't open them up. And she was such a wonderful Christian lady. She was so, so beautiful. She served, you know, she used to take her vacations to serve children's camps and cook for children's camps in the summertime. She loved to play the guitar. And she would get so frustrated. And she would sit there in her wheelchair and she'd go, Bobby, I can't wait until I can play the guitar again when my hands will be better. She frustrated with the groaning, but she also knew that there was something better. When you're so frustrated because you can't open your hands, whatever that means for you, Jesus still loves you. He has a purpose for you. He hasn't left you to be by your side. He is praying for you even in the midst when you can't pray for yourself. <laughs> you know, when I, I still struggle at times, but as, as I, I see this, it's just something that's amazing. Because without it, we just suffer. If you're suffering right now and you don't believe, if you're not a Christian yet, let me ask you something to close. Why are you suffering? There's no purpose behind, behind it. It's just meaningless. But if you're a believer, God has something there that he can use. You're not just suffering just to suffer. He loves you and he loves people that you can, he can reach through you. See, this is a thing as pastors that I know Jeff and I both understand. Is that we can only influence people just for a few minutes a week. But you are out there in the midst of people who are suffering every day and are doing it hopeless. Gang, we have been told in 2 Corinthians by Paul that we have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry to be able to bring hope to people who are hopeless right now. It's simply, can you trust the Lord? That's what faith is simply, just trust. The Greek word pistis means believing, but it has the idea of trusting in the middle of it. That's what faith really is, is that can you trust the Lord right now with whatever you're going through or whatever you might go through to say, okay, Lord, this is really hard. It really sucks, but I trust you in this. Let's pray. Lord, we, as the man that came to you with the son, who was throwing himself into the fire and you, Lord, said, do you believe I can do this? And the man said, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Most of us here are in that place. We believe, but quite frankly, sometimes we get tired, Lord, and it hurts and it's hard. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to trust you, Lord. That you, Lord, that you do love us. That this suffering that, we're, that we have to go through in this life isn't just for meaninglessness. But it has a purpose. And I pray for folks this morning who are suffering that don't have any purpose. They're just here simply because maybe somebody invited them. Or because they don't even know why they're here. But Lord, that you would reach in and you would let them know that you love them in the middle of the most difficult times in their life. That you don't want them to stay miserable. That you have a plan for them. That you care for them deeply. That you gave your son Jesus Christ in their place on the cross of Calvary. I pray that, Lord, that they would trust you today. I thank you for your love for us, Lord. I pray that you would help us through these times. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Bob. Hey, uh, we're going to do something now really quickly. Uh, first of all, I've asked some of the elders if you guys would. Bob, if you bring, if your wife could come up.
And uh, we're just going to take an opportunity right now just to pray for Bob for his continued healing and ministry. If some of you guys, elders, and we're, Carla and Holly, would you guys come up here with your friends even if that'd be okay? You don't have to. I should have cleared that with you first, but that's all right. But, but there's this thing that can happen where it's like, you know, so he's the pastor, and so we pray for him, and we get him up on stage. But what about me as I sit in the 10th row and all that kind of stuff? So, so here's what I want to do also. We're going to mix it up a little today. It's nice to not be predictable all the time, right? If you're, if you're groaning, whatever that means to you, what, whatever that means to you, as, where you are right now, I'd like you to just stand. Um, if you're saying, man, I'm just groaning, I'm just in one of those seasons too, and we'd like to be able to pray with and for you this morning. So um, just in faith, will you guys stand if you're in that place? Nobody. There's a couple. There's some people groaning. And then the rest of you that are around, when you guys just, the Bible talks about when you're, when you're sick, you're to come to the elders and they're to lay hands on and to pray, to anoint with oil. That's what we're going to do with Bob here. And so if those of you that are around those who are standing would just kind of come alongside them, throw an arm on their shoulder, and we're just going to take an opportunity to pray for one another this morning, can we? God, we are so thankful, Lord, for this reminder, Lord, of your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, though, that you're, you're not a God that just says, buck up and get over it. But, Lord, that you ask us to come to you with our needs, with our worries, with our fears, with our issues, with our groanings, and to lay them before you. And so, God, that's what we're doing right now, Lord. All these who are standing right now, Lord, the Middletons here, Lord, they're standing before you in faith and in assurance of your word, Lord in active obedience, presenting, Lord, our groanings and our difficulties to you and asking, God, will you take them, Lord? Yes, we trust you. Yes, Lord, work through them, use them to your glory. But, Lord, at the same time, we just ask, God, that you would just heal. Lord, I pray for Bob, Lord. The cells that are, that are active in him right now, God, that are only there that you've ordained, God. I, I pray, God, that you would just remove them. You are the great physician. You are his creator. You know what's going on inside and out better than any doctor ever could. So, God, if you're to use medicine to heal him, Lord, and those even here who are sick, then we pray, God, that you would do that. But, Lord, will you just heal them? But, Lord, not for their glory, not just for our comfort, but for a testimony to you, the great and powerful God. I pray, God, that you would heal and remove the burdens from so many in this church this morning, Lord, that they might be able to go forward and declare that you are the healer. You are the comforter. You are the one who loves your children and desires better things for us. Lord, if our own bodies groan for things to be better, how much more you? For, Lord, you've designed us literally for better than this. And so, God, we are so thankful that you are actively restoring all things. Lord, our hearts join with your word and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Make an end of suffering, God. Take away sin and pain and death and restore, Lord, unto us the joy that you designed us for. But in the meantime, God, we pray that you would heal our brother, that you would heal our brothers and sisters here. Lord, that our testimony would go forth. And God, that you might be glorified in everything that we do. And Lord, in the meantime, God, we pray for faith to stand. We pray, God, that your spirit would empower us that the community that you've given us in your church would give us the ability to continue to walk by faith and that you would give us grace, Lord, in those seasons where our, our doubts creep in. But God, may you be glorified in everything. And Lord, we pray all these things because you despised the shame. You walked through the sufferings and the groanings and you bore all of it for us. And we are so grateful for you, Jesus. So Lord, help us just to follow you in that to bear whatever cross you would give us and to set our eyes upon you and the hope of eternity that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Guys, you know, um, I'm so thankful for this reminder. I just read this week that they, everybody on your feet, would you? I just read this week that they said now that America is now the third largest missionary country in the world. I don't mean sending. I mean, America now has the third largest number population base of unbelievers of any other place in the world. It's China, India, and us. 
And we've always been the one that sent the Christians to the other place. But the honest truth is we need to start doing a lot more missionary work in the world around us. But I'll tell you right now, man, the places that you go to where they're ready to receive the gospel most are the places where people are suffering because they start realizing that there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be a point to all these things. And so even the stuff that you're walking in right now, Bob, you've been given an opportunity to be able to share the gospel in a way that just doesn't come any other way. And so I want to encourage you guys, even in your suffering, keep pointing people to Jesus. And, and keep carrying Jesus. Those of you who aren't. And there are people out there all over the place that are suffering, like he said, for no reason. So may we all leave this place as active missionaries this morning. Amen? Amen. Hey, and leave this place with hope to know that in spite of our suffering, heaven is going to rock. It's just going to rock. Heaven's just going to be amazing. You guys know that? Like three people know that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, those three people are trying to tell you that heaven is going to be amazing and we are closer to heaven now than we were when we walked in here this morning. So let's walk with anticipation and hope and joy. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. We'll be back here Wednesday night going through the book of Mark. God bless you. Have a great week.